0: When you're a kid, okay, and something doesn't go your way, a lot of times your immediate reaction, or at least, you know, this logic that we have is, is to say that, okay, well, I'm just going to run away, right? So, I mean, think back with me, right? Your parents say, no, you can't do this, and you're, and you're like, okay, in your mind, well, my weapon is I'm going to run away. Ha-ha, I got you, parents, right? You're like, take that, you know? That's the, that is the mindset of a child, or that's what they think when they're, when they're saying, I'm just going to run away, you know? Who's been there? Come on. Yes. So there was a one specific moment um, when Chapman and I were very young. I was probably around five. He was probably around three. When we decided to use this weapon of running away to get back at our parents for not letting us go outside uh, after we had taken our baths, right? <clears throat> so we're just like, we're out of here, you know we want to go outside. It's summer. It's still light outside. Have you ever heard that reasoning? right? I, I can't go to bed now. It's still light outside. There's time to play, right? So we're like, okay, we're out of here. We're out of here. So we packed up the essentials in our Elmo backpack and by essentials, I mean toys, um, all of our favorites, and it was great. And then we made our way out the door without our parents knowing it. And we decided we're going to run away. So we walked outside in the hot summer, uh, summer evening, and we decided our home should be in the car that our father was trying to sell that was parked out in front of the house. So we went in, we got in the car, and we got, we got settled, we unpacked, we had all our toys out, and we were, we were chilling, right? We're having a good time. And then we realized that the essentials were not really the essentials. It was hot in there. <laughs> it was really hot in there, and we're like, we're thirsty. And we look up. And there is a beautiful sprinkler just watering the grass. And so we say, okay, let's go get a drink. So we went and we got a drink and we enjoyed this cold water. And soon enough, I don't know how it happened. I blame Chapman, but we were jumping in the sprinkler in our PJs and it was a blast. (laughs) It was fun. Running away was working out well for us. We were having a good time. And then a little while after that, we look up and there's mom and dad peeking around the corner, trying not to laugh, trying to be like, okay, you're in trouble now. But they were, they were just, they are about to bust up laughing. But end of the story, we got a spanking, and we learned, we learned a valuable lesson. We learned a valuable lesson. Running away is not the answer when mom and dad will not let you do what you want, right? But unfortunately, there are children and I'm talking metaphorically. There are children of God who have run away, who are lost, and their story is not as lighthearted as me and Chapman's, right? That is the reality. Thank you, Jillian. It's okay. Thank you. That is the reality. Um, and here's the deal. I want you to know that God's grace is real. And, and that he desires for you to know his grace and his mercy and his love in a real way, in a life-changing way. And, and we can begin that process, I believe that, by uh, looking at the word of God. And that's what we're going to do today in Luke chapter 15. So if you'll turn with me. Lord Jesus, give us um, ears to hear what your spirit is saying. God, just um, touch us and keep us. Help us, God, to... Um, Have peace and and hear your voice um, in times of stress, and um, when things aren't going our way, help us to lean on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Just just so you know, just to give you a little context, um, I preach this message, um, or a version of this message. Um, to the youth at our our summer retreat. We had a great time, and I wanted to give you a little window into that. So, youth, if you're hearing some similar things, that's okay. And if you're not, well, you were sleeping, okay, which is probably pretty likely. Saw a lot of nodding off during this one. Just kidding. Um, But so we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. Uh, Many of you know it, the the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. And start with me in verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, "This man welcomes sinners and eats with them." Then Jesus told them this parable: "Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after uh, I'm sorry, go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is the parable of the lost coin in verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents, over one sinner who repents. Uh, Verse 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property, property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth with wild living. Sounds fun. Just kidding. Um, Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they they begin to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied Notice, not my brother, but this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home and you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So this is such a powerful Powerful few parables that are very, very closely linked together. A lot of commentators consider them to be one parable, right? They're so closely related in theme and in f- uh, form and all that that they're the same thing virtually. It's all one parable, and that's kind of how I refer to it or how I think of it. But there's something you need to, you need to understand here. At the beginning. We get the context. We get the setting. And this is key to understanding the rest of the passage. Okay, don't miss this. Because oftentimes what we do is we miss it. And then from, the, from there on, we kind of have the wrong idea or the wrong hermeneutic. We're looking at it in the wrong way. Does that make sense? So, so check this out. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. Okay, so that's what's happening. The tax collectors and the sinners, they're there. They're, re- they're ready to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them, okay? And then Jesus told them the parable. So Jesus is responding to the grumbling of the Pharisees, of the religious leaders, right? He's responding with the defense of his actions. Now, what were his actions? He was eating with tax collectors and sinners. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a second. But he was, that, that was a big deal. So, so take note, that was a big deal. Jesus is eating with the tax collectors and, and sinners, and the Pharisees are not happy with it, right? They're grumbling, okay? So that sets up the parable or, or, or what the, the discourse that follows, right? Jesus is going to speak to that situation. OK, now hold on to that. But but here's what I want to do. I want to look at three really, really important perspectives or characters in these stories. Right. The first is the lost. The lost then found the, 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 the sheep, the coin, the prodigal. OK, that's the first perspective, the lost. The second that I want to look at is the religious perspective. The person who knows better, right? The Pharisees, the 99, the others, the righteous ones, okay? And then the third is the Savior, the one who loves the unlovable, the shepherd, the woman, and the father. So first we're going to look at the lost. And let me find it here because I changed my order and now I'm using my old notes. But, excuse me. The lost, represented by the prodigal, is interesting. In the case of the prodigal son, he was in open rebellion, correct? He left his father for a life of sinful indulgence. He left his father for selfishness. He left his father to do what he wanted, right? And some of you, some of us, are in, are in the spot. Some of us have been in this spot. You know, you're running from God. You're chasing things that you want. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's love. Maybe it's intimacy. Maybe it's fun. Maybe it's a good feeling. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's wealth, money. Maybe it's power or prestige in the church. Let me tell you something. Selfishness that looks like partying is the same as selfishness that looks like going to church all the time. If you think that you're better because you're in church or you're selfishly seeking things that are seemingly godly, you're mistaken. We're searching for these things. And it's going to leave us feeling empty. That's where we see the prodigal. He hits rock bottom. That's represented in what he's doing. He's feeding pigs which to a Jew, in a Jewish context, that's like the worst thing you could do. That's an unclean animal. Not only that, but he's in servitude to a Gentile in a foreign country. This is the picture of a cursed life to a Jewish person, and Jesus paints it well. He hits rock bottom. But sometimes we're like children, right? We're like children who have one of those toys That the shapes go into. Who knows what I'm talking about? It's got the moon shape and the star shape and the square shape and the circle shape and all of those. And you have the star and you're desperately trying to fit it in the circle. We're like children just trying to get the star in the circle. And we're frustrated and we're mad. But we still keep trying to shove the star in the circle. But it's not going to work. It's going to leave you feeling empty. It's going to leave you at rock bottom. Our way does not work. Even when we convince ourselves that our way is God's way. And we use all kind of scripture out of context. And we use all kind of sermons. And we say, this is what God is doing. And you're selfish. You see what I'm saying? Like, stop trying to put the star in the circle. It's important. Some of us are running. We're just running and we're running. For no reason. I don't want to be the prodigal. (laughs) I don't want to be the prodigal. But here's what's interesting. Okay? Remember we talked about the context. Because I think oftentimes we make this passage about the one, not the ninety-nine. We make this passage about the prodigal, not the brother, right? And that's what we're going to get the second, the second perspective, the religious person, the one who knows better, the brother, right? See, we, we do that. We make it about the prodigal in this specific way where we put ourselves into the position of the one. We put ourselves into the position of the prodigal, right? And that's the only way we view this passage, and quite honestly, it's wrongheaded, headed Okay? That's, that's, a, that's a bad way to interpret these parables. To just put yourself in the position of the one and then to leave it there. Of course, God has grace for you. Of course, he's a loving father. And if you're a, prod, if you're a wayward son, come back. That is a message that is important and it's in this passage. But it is not the only one, right? I would suggest... That wanting to be the one or wanting to be the prodigal isn't really what what Jesus is getting at here. The setting shows us that, right? The tax collectors and and the sinners, Jesus is eating with them. And the parables are grumbling. So Jesus aims this parable at the Pharisees. The people who should know better. He's speaking to them. Maybe in our context we could say the church people. Raise your hand if you're a church people. Hey, Jesus is speaking to you. Amen. See, the, the Pharisees were mad that Jesus is, is eating with these sinners, with these tax collectors. Now, here's something that I added that's really, really important. In my study, I'm 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 looking at this and I'm I'm seeing this imagery of the table. Especially in context with Luke, cha- Luke chapter 14. Where the great banquet, the parable of the great banquet is 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 given, right? Um, And he brings all of the people on the streets in to eat at the banquet table, instead of the people he had invited because they don't they don't receive his invitation, right? So in context of that, we see this imagery of the table and Jesus welcoming the tax collector and the sinners, the marginalized, the ones who aren't fit, who aren't righteous. Do you see that? Do you see that inclusion? And understand something, in this culture, the Pharisees were righteous. Just A Pharisee was actually a Jewish sect, a sect of Judaism. They weren't the bad guys. I mean, that's kind of how we see them as Christians reading the gospel. They're just the bad guys. Well, they weren't the bad guys. They were just a, a sect of Judaism, right? And they were awesome. <laughs> like, they studied the word of God. They memorized the entire books of the word of God. They, they knew it. They knew the law, they devoted themselves to righteousness. They devoted themselves to the law. But they were mad that Jesus is eating with those who didn't. You see what I'm saying? Now, now understand this. In their hold on, Mike, sorry in their um, context, they would act out this righteousness socially with eating together. Right? So to eat with someone who is not living as righteous as you are is to not be righteous. Right, That's what it looks like socially. And so they're, they're pushing for this social exclusion of the tax collectors and the sinners. Now who are the tax collectors and the sinners? The tax collectors are traitors. People who wanted to earn a buck by collecting taxes from the Jews for the Romans. Who the Jews, the majority of the Jews, did not want to rule them. So they are hated by the Pharisees and the majority of the Jewish people. And the sinners are those who are either poor. To, in this culture, to be poor is to be a sinner. Or they are people who are doing unsavory things. Think about like the prostitutes and the, you know, the, the, the adulterers and all of these different people. And that's who Jesus is eating with, communing with. And the Pharisees are... Aren't having it, but they're missing it because here's the deal: if you are not lost, you are called to lay yourself down for those that are. Let me say that again. If you are not lost, you are called to lay your life down for those that are. Listen, there comes a time in a Christian spiritual life where they have to realize that there are others that are the one. There are others that are the prodigal. And then we we have to realize that and we have to rejoice in God's grace anyways. We have to see the grace of God at work in others' lives and be like, that is awesome. It's like Jesus, he said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's not a healthy that need a doctor. But listen, it's important. We have to understand this who is the prodigal practically because we can say amen 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 and then go about our business doing the same old same old and withdrawing into our christian like-minded circles so that we can feel comfortable we can be encouraged and I'm, i'm not saying don't be encouraged but you see what i'm saying like we withdraw into our our little christian circles and we think the same way we talk the same way we have the same political ideology all of it, and then we're just we're comfortable and we, we kind of give each other a little ego boost every now and again. You see what I'm saying? Like that is not the point of this, pa- this parable. Who is the prodigal? Who are these sinners to us? Maybe it's people who do things that would make you physically ill. I'm talking about prostitutes. I'm talking about criminals I'm talking about addicts, people who are unsavory to us. Look, I'm a middle-class white kid from, you know, or, or, I mean, from rural Kansas. I'm kind of scared of certain people, you know what I mean, who are doing things that I've never even become close to experiencing. You, you see what I'm saying? i got to get out of that. i got to get out of that mindset because that is the prodigal. That is the person that Jesus is asking to his table. It might be people who disagree with you liberals, Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses. Jesus is asking you to eat with these sinners, to eat with these tax collectors, the marginalized. It could be people who society is pushing aside. Maybe they're not innate sinners or whatever. It could be the, the, the impoverished. People who are taking advantage of welfare. Or, you see what I'm like? It could be immigrants. You see what I'm saying? You see what I'm getting at? These people are broken and they're hurting and they're lost. And we have to invite them in. We have to rejoice when they experience the grace of God. But our selfishness, in our selfishness we want to make ourselves the one all the time. We want to say me, me, me. Everything revolves around me. What I want to do in church. Where I want to go. How I want to spend my time. Who I want to invest in. But the image that Christ shows us is actually the opposite. It's not about me to God, to Christ. It's about others. And that's exactly why Jesus is meeting with these sinners and these tax collectors. And you have to understand what this is doing to him. Again, he's putting his own righteousness, his own reputation at stake by even doing this. But it's important. Because it wasn't about him. And the Pharisees, they were missing it. See, they should have been joyful that these people were hearing about God. They had spent their whole lives learning about God and serving about God. But instead of reacting with joy that these people were also getting a chance to do that, they're they're grumbling. See, the Pharisees were more like the older brother. Verse 28, Luke 15 with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Verse 31, my son, the father said, you are always with with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So the brother says, Man, I've been working for you. He actually says, I've been slaving for you. And you never did this for me. I did this for you. And now what do I get? You see, the older brother was lost from the father as well. It just looked differently. It worked, it looked like him working, it looked like him doing what the, he thought the father wanted, like him obeying. But listen, if his obedience is motivated out of selfishness, if his obedience is a means to an end, it's, "Hey, I'm God, I'm obeying you. So now do this for me, then there's, there's no relationship there to begin with. He's just using his father in the same exact way that the younger brother did, except for he's lying to himself about it. And that's what we do. That's what we do with God. We're like, God, I'm spiritual. I speak in tongues. I go to church. I do all of this. Heal me. You know, or, or do this for me, or do that for me. But it's it's nothing if 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 you don't have love, just like the love chapter. You're just a clashing symbol. You're just making noise without love. You see, the brother should have. Experienced the love of the father and then given it to the brother with him, participated with the father in receiving the brother. Let me ask you a question What is the difference between the younger brother's selfishness and the older brother's? Nothing. Nothing. I mean, it looked different. The older brother could lie to himself easier, but there's no difference. God's saying, it it, it isn't about you. This parable's not about you. It's about the prodigal, someone else. It's about the grace of God. And praise God. Praise God there's another perspective. Amen? Praise God there's another perspective. the shepherd, the woman, and the father. This perspective is so powerful. It's so life-changing. And notice these characters. They're either actively searching for or running after the lost person slash item. You see that? This points to God's attitude towards, yes, you, like don't miss that. I'm not trying to take that away from you. Like the whole, you know, God died for me. Yes, like get that, hold on to that, I'm not trying to take that away. But for the wayward children, those who aren't you as well, he has an incredible attitude of love, grace, and forgiveness towards those who we find, quite honestly, repulsive. That's God's attitude towards them. And it's shown In him being a loving father. We see this in the imagery of this loving father. He's running with his arms open. I think it's the most beautiful passage that I've read in a long time. It just really gravitates. And and it, it hits me heavy. He says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Human logic says the son should get what he deserved. He should be starving, feeding the pigs. He, he, he made that mess for himself. He spent all his money on prostitutes and, and a life of whatever. But the loving wisdom and compassion of the father, it compels him to run with open arms to greet his son with a kiss This is beautiful to me in particular and I talked about with our, talked about this with our students because when I see this imagery the face of the father auto- automatically becomes my dad because my dad showed this to me in my life he showed me this grace in a tangible way and so when I see the father running I see big Bearded, red-faced Billy just running at me to give me a big hug, and it just makes me feel so good and warm. And I know that I have that. But it breaks my heart because I know so many of our students and so many adults, so many people in this room do not have that human representation of what the father is supposed to be. They're left with this empty space where, you know they don't have an image of, of this father. You can borrow mine, I'll give you a picture of my dad. He's a good looking guy. You might not have that, but let me encourage you, let me empower you to know that Jesus cared enough to tell the Pharisees, Hey, I'm eating with these people because they have a father who loves them, who is filled with grace, and who is running at them with arms open wide. I'm here to tell you that you have a father who who is there for you and we know it because Jesus was born and he lived and he died for you. The love and the grace of the father father is visible in the gospel. It's visible in the person of Christ. And it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. This is the grace of God. It's not conditional. God didn't say, son, say this, and I'll let you back in. No, he cut him off. The son didn't even finish his speech. Before he was even done, he said, let's celebrate. My son is home. That is the love. That is the grace of the Father. This is what's waiting for you if you are the prodigal. But for those of you in the room who are not, which is the majority of you, you have to understand something. This is the grace of God that should compel you to participate with the Father. Amen. Hallelujah. You cannot understand this story. You cannot hear this parable and not want to turn around and give the same grace of the Father to every single person around you. So when people make you mad, and they say something mean to you at church, and you're ready to put your fist up, you see it. When people are in your face, when they're rude, when they're cruel, give them the grace of the Father. When people leave you, when they abandon you, give them the grace of the Father. When people are unsavory, when they're they're mean and they're cruel and they're evil, give them the grace of the Father. When they're when they're marginalized and they're thrown aside like they're nothing. Give them the grace of the Father. What if the brother would have been there by the Father's side, running? Not after this son of yours, but after his brother. Do you realize the bond that we share with one another? Do you realize the bond that we share with the lost? The fact that we are all in the same boat, broken, messed up, sinful, and out of luck. We need the same Jesus. We need the same Savior. We need the same Father with the same arms open wide. We're bound by that. He's not that son of yours. That wayward son, that person who you despise, they're they're not that son of of his. They're your brother. They're your sibling. That goes for us in this room as well as people outside of these walls. And I want to be there. I want to be there with the Father. I want to have my arms wide open. I want to be running after that, that person. That person who makes me uncomfortable saying, Jesus loves you. You have a seat at this table. You have a seat at this table. Raven, would you come? I'm sorry. And whoever else is, is singing or playing. We can't miss the main message, this, the so important and crucial message of the prodigal son of the lost sheep, of the lost coin. To simply say, oh, I'm the prodigal. God has grace and love for me. And then leave it at that is to make a mistake. The loving father loves you, yes. He has grace for you, yes. But he also has it for those around you. And he wants you. He's calling you to participate. This is an allegory. This is an open-ended parable. Jesus is calling the Pharisees to join him. He's calling them to join him. Will you join him? I'm talking to you. Tomorrow, at work, will you join him? Will you pull up a seat at the table for that person at work who you despise? Who makes you uncomfortable will you join him at church when that person walks in and you just know that they're on something or that they're doing whatever will you not take it upon yourself to judge what's right and wrong for others but instead just give them the grace of the father I'm not saying condone everything and just be okay with everything. That's not the message here. Jesus didn't have them at the table to tell them everything they're doing is okay. But he still had them at the table. Lord Jesus, God, I pray, help us to hear this message. Help us to know that you made room for us at the table, that you ran after us, and now we have the opportunity to do the same with you in participation. God, I pray that in each moment, each practical moment where we have an opportunity to share the love and the grace of God, we will take it. We'll not let it, let it pass us by in our Comfortable movements and motions of Christian life, I pray we will see the opportunities every day. God, thank you for this amazing grace, this amazing love that you you display for us. Lord God, I pray specifically right now for those in the room who don't have that earthly, that, that that human father figure that has displayed this grace for them, I pray that they will know that through it all, you were there with arms wide open, running. I pray that they will know that you revealed to us in your word this characteristic of a loving father. And that despite our situations with family, you desire for us to know that truth about who you are. Thank you, Jesus. Touch us and keep us. Will you stand with me? Raven's going to lead us in another song. Just feel free to, to worship God and specifically ask him about situations where you can do this, where you can participate in the grace of the Father. Maybe it's a specific situation that's already going on right now. Or maybe it's something that's coming up. I don't know what it is, but ask God to show you how you can participate in this incredible gospel, this incredible story of the prodigal son.